Oh, it's so good to be here and to see so many familiar faces, and unfortunately, Debbie couldn't be with me this morning, but uh, uh, she uh, sends her greetings as well, and to see so many familiar faces, a lot of new faces as well, and uh, it's uh, always a blessing to come back. I think we were here about a year ago, and uh, boy, a lot's happened in a year, hasn't it? So it's been a, uh, a year to record for sure. But uh, I'm glad to be back and for the opportunity and just to share a bit from God's Word. Well, this morning, uh, what a joy it is to open up the Word of God. And I I wanted to do that uh, by way of the Old Testament. And uh, I'm going to ask you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and open to the book of Joshua chapter 1 in a message that I've entitled, Courage in the Courtyard of Life. And uh, I preached this for the first time just a a month ago at a men's breakfast, and I thought this is really an apropos message for uh, congregations at large, and uh, it has so much for us as we find ourselves in this unusual place in history. And so let me begin reading in verse 1, and uh, I don't know, you folks use the New American Standard or UESV now? Oh, I'll pray for you. I haven't prayed enough. So uh, I always tell people I'm preaching from the New American Standard, not because I'm new, because I'm not, and not because I'm American, but because that's what I was reared on in my spiritual life. So uh, anyway, beginning in verse 1 of Joshua 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that was written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success." Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to come home to Living Hope Bible Church. I thank you for the great work that you're doing here. I thank you for the men that you've raised up to help lead this this church body, and I thank you for those that you have brought this way to serve in this community of believers. I pray that you would bless Denver and bless Don and Peter as they continue to guide and direct during these very difficult and challenging times, and I pray for each one that is a part of this body, that they will be wholly committed to you, and that they will continue to seek to serve you selflessly as as they seek your honor and your glory in this life. So, Father, now just open our hearts, open our minds to the word of God and to the will of God, that we might be transformed by it and become more like your Son, Jesus Christ, with each and every passing day. And we pray this in Christ's name alone. Amen. One of the many drumbeats that I often pound on is the whole aspect of leadership. And actually, by that, I mean the courage to lead. 
And one of the reasons why I do that is because as you look around in society in general, we can see that leadership is conspicuous by its absence. In fact, I would go so far as to say that true leadership is on the endangered species list and about to become extinct. Because regardless of where we look today, whether it's politics, big business, security, uh, national security, academia, education, even the church of Jesus Christ, and even in the home, one has to squint to find strength and courage to lead and to make the decisions that are necessary and will oftentimes prove even unpopular. Most of our so-called leaders today couldn't lead a colony of ravenous ants to a picnic party. And what passes for leadership today is nothing more than mere appeasement to the culture at large. It's leadership in drag. Far too many are like the cowardly lion on the Wizard of Oz. And all of that backyard courage never seems to make it out the front door. And in many cases, all of that backyard courage never makes it from the backyard to the sliding glass door that leads from the backyard into the house. If you want a real positive example of real leadership and the strength and the courage that it takes to lead, we need look no further than the Word of God. Just think about The boldness, that holy boldness of the prophets in the Old Testament. A boldness that would take them oftentimes to their own martyrdom, not to mention all of the persecution of various levels that led up to that. And then what about the apostles in the early church? We read from Acts 20 this morning. Paul knew exactly what he was facing. So did the other apostles. And we know from church history that as far as we know, only one of those apostles died a natural death, and that was the apostle John. The others were martyrs for the faith. Of course, we could look at the patriarchs as well. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and those who came behind them takes courage, takes strength that only God provides. So as we come to the threshold of the book of Joshua, we have a prime example and model of one who had both the courage and the strength to lead. Setting the standard, serving as a model and an example for all of the rest of ancient Israel to follow. And so his example is instructive for us in our own age as we continue to encounter the strong headwinds of globalism and the religion of statism. It's going to be required of of us. It is necessary that we have godly courage and godly strength to withstand the pressures that are going to be placed upon us in the not too distant future. I've been asked by many if the vaccine mandate is a mark of the beast. I don't think it is, at least not in its current state. But it certainly is a prelude for what is to come. A prelude for coming attractions. In other words, men, ladies, young people, Buckle up, because this is the new normal. And the church of Jesus Christ, for the remainder of my lifetime, unless the Lord returns first, is going to increasingly come under extreme pressure to compromise to the culture and, or run afoul of the authorities at large. 
And now while God isn't calling us to lead a nation of two and a half million people across the Jordan River to Jericho to establish a nation for God, he is calling us to be strong and to be courageous in our marriages, in our families, in our communities, and in our churches, as well as our places of employ. And if we're going to survive, and if we're going to be the salt and the light that we should be in these difficult and challenging days, we are going to need the same strength and courage to lead and to stand that is spoken of here in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. And so in Joshua 1, 1 through 9, we, we see... Three times that the Lord has commanded Joshua to be strong and to be courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Again in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then as we look down at verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and and courageous. Don't tremble. Don't be dismayed. But be courageous. So what is strength? What is courage? Let me define that before I get into my outline this morning. It's critical to understand this. To be strong, as we find it here in Joshua 1, means Essentially, to have fortitude. It's not just talking about physical strength here, but about mental, emotional, and spiritual strength that is required to stand true to the Word of God. Someone who has the strength of character to withstand the onslaught of a fallen wor- in a fallen world will en route to conquest. This is becoming increasingly difficult because we live in a world that doesn't want us to be spiritually, mentally, emotionally strong. I'm often asked, where are the men? What's happened to biblical manhood? I'll tell you what's happened to it. Most of the men in our society today have been browbeaten by the world and through radical feminism. They've been beaten into the corner, painted into the corner. They've been told where their place is. And so men are afraid to speak up. They are afraid to lead today, but it's going to take strength, the biblical strength spoken of here, to stand up and to be a man of God. That's strength. What about courage? Well, it's very closely related. Obviously, it's a synonym. In many places in the Old Testament, the same word here means exactly the same as the word strong or strength. But there's a bit of a nuance here. It conveys that aspect of being strong that's resolute and stands firm and doesn't give an inch. In other words, to really simplify the word courage here, it means this, to stay stay true to the courage of your convictions. Refuse to blink. Refuse to flinch. Refuse to give an inch to Satan, self, and sin. That's what it means to be strong. That's what it means to be courageous. Four years ago, I took up mountain biking after road cycling for many years, and I quickly realized that mountain biking is not road cycling. It takes courage when you come over the precipice of a trail and you look down and you get a grapefruit-sized lump in your throat and you're thinking, I don't know about this. I must confess, I ride fairly cautiously and try not to bite off more than I can chew. I'm not a 20-year-old anymore. 
At 60, when you hit the ground and you hit the rocks, they seem just a little bit harder than they did at 20. And so I ride cautiously. But in life, in our current circumstances, we don't have that option. We need to be strong and we need to be courageous and we need to stand against the prevailing winds and currents that are being exerted upon us by a Christ-denying world. So where does that lead us? Where does the strength come from? How do we access this kind of strength and this kind of courage? Ultimately, it's derived. It's not from within ourselves. We're not advocating here for some kind of macho kind of secular courage. Ultimately, it is derived. It comes from God, not we ourselves. It is a derived courage. And here are three provisions that will lead us to this strength and this courage as seen in the example of Joshua just prior to the conquest of the promised land. Very simple outline. This strength and this courage comes from God's promises. It comes from God's presence. And it comes from God's priority. Let's begin with God's promises. Verse 1, verses 1 through 3. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Then verse 6. Be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Where is this courage and this strength going to come from? Firstly, it comes from understanding God's promises. And what God said, he will ultimately do. And so Joshua isn't operating here in some kind of vacuum. But rather, he's based on the promises made by God that extend all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12 when the first part of the Abrahamic covenant was given. So this extends way back over six centuries now. And it's interesting to note that these promises were based on God's person. Notice how he begins here. He says in verse 1, The death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. That the Lord spoke to Joshua. The name that is used for God here is that covenant-keeping name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, as we transliterate it into the English. And so the promises that were given, the promises concerning the land, concerning the victory, concerning God's blessings, are all rooted and predicated in and on the name, the covenant-keeping name of God. God is going to live up to his end of the bargain even when Israel falters in disobedience. He uses the covenant-keeping name for God. And despite the death of Moses, their leader, the great I Am is still present with them. He's not going anywhere. He is still there in their presence by their side. And this covenant-keeping name for God was first revealed to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11 through 15 at the burning bush incident. It speaks of God's eternal existence. It speaks of God's eternal vigilance. It speaks of God's eternal presence. 
And all of that translates and corresponds into the enduring faithfulness of who God is as the covenant-keeping God of Israel. You see, when someone makes a promise, it matters who it is that's making the promise, doesn't it? There are some people who can swear on their mother's grave and you're thinking, you lying Sacagawea. You're a liar. You have a habit of lying. I don't believe a thing you say. You don't want to believe the promises of someone who has the character of a modern-day corrupt politician at election time because you know those promises are one massive nothing, nothing burger. It's coming to naught. And so it matters. The character matters. The integrity matters of the one who's making the promise. And the promises that were made, even though they extend back 600 years, over 600 years from Joshua's vantage point, are still in operation. God is gradually revealing this plan to his nation Israel. So God's promises are all important. But God's promises are always predicated on his person and who he is and his own faithfulness. That he's honest and true and faithful. Furthermore, these promises are based not only on God's person, but on God's possession. What is God's possession here? Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Uh Uh-oh. It's all going to come apart now. Now, therefore, arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Whose land is this? It's God's. It's God's land. So it's God who is doing the giving here. He owns the title deed. And so he is entitled to engage in a little expropriation of land without due compensation. But you see, only God is entitled to do that. That's the big irony of what we face in this country. You can change the laws, you can change the way it's all going to be done and who owns what. At the end of the day, it's all going to revert back to God anyway, isn't it? The book of Deuteronomy, turn over just a few pages from Joshua 1, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now this is still during the time of Moses, obviously. But Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verses 24 and 25. This is what... Israel is told. This is before they arrive at the Jordan River. Deuteronomy is Moses' swan song before the Lord takes his life on Mount Nebo. But in verse 24 of Deuteronomy 11, every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your border will be from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, as far as the western sea. No man will be able to stand before you. The Lord your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. It's God's land. It's God's for the giving. And so the promises that God happens to be making with ancient Israel are predicated on his own possession, his own ownership. Furthermore, if we're to have courage, we need to understand these promises. But we also need to understand here that God's promises are not only based on his person and his possession, but also on his provision. On his provision. Again, verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. 
Again, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Because God owns it, because it's God's possession, it's also God's provision. And God has already given them the land, even though the plan has not been consummated. It has not been humanly executed yet. And what is required here is for Joshua and for Israel to step out by faith and claim what God has already given them. Spurgeon on this point says, Joshua was not to use the promise as a couch upon which his indolence might luxuriate, but as a girdle wherewith to gird up his loins for future activity. In other words, divine sovereignty does not exclude human responsibility and activity. Rather, it demands human responsibility. And to step out in faith and to do what God has said, God will provide because of his promises, because of his possession. Further, these promises are based on the patriarchs. Verse 6 again. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their forefathers to give to them. God was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Jacob. He was faithful to Joseph. And God's faithfulness will now be seen and demonstrated as they crossed from east to west on the Jordan River and head towards Jericho. It's the same faithfulness. God's immutable character never changes. And just as God was faithful to those ancient patriarchs, he will now be faithful to Joshua and the children of Israel as they go forth. And the same God that was faithful to Joshua and to those ancient Jews will be faithful to you and will be faithful to me if we will but step out in childlike faith and take God at his word. And then finally, these promises are based on the individual person of Joshua. If all of Israel is to be strong, If all of Israel is to be courageous, then they need a strong and courageous leader. One who will not cavell. One who will stand true. One who is not weak and hesitant. Can you imagine a Gideon-type personality trying to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land? Biting his fingernails. When he bites them down to the quick, he starts working on his toenails, shaking like a leaf. Be strong. Be courageous. Like Joshua. You see, as Joshua goes, so goes the nation. As the husband goes, so goes the wife. As the father and mother go, so go the children. As the elders go, so goes the church. And so forth. There's a knock-on effect here. That's why I was so heartened to hear how the men here have handled the whole COVID-19 situation. They did so by actually leading with courage and with strength against the stream, against the currents. Do you know how rare that is? Very. Praise God for men who will stand strong in these difficult, challenging times. You see, we have a provision. It's not the promise of some physical real estate. But we have some great and exceeding precious promises. We find them in the New Testament. 
Let me just read a couple of these for you. And we'll get back to the text at hand. But Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Then again in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. Colossians 2.10. And in him or in Christ you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. You're complete. You have everything you need. At the moment of salvation, God gives you the spiritual tools that you need to live with him in this present life. One last one. It's found after Hebrews and James in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge... And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Backing up to verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You see, we have provision. We have spiritual provision for what we face. We need to step out in the strength and the courage that God provides. And God's promises are the key, are one of the keys to being courageous and strong. True faith that takes God at his word and then exercises that faith by stepping out into the big unknown and trusting God for the results. And so how do we get this strength? How do we get this courage? First, by understanding and reclining on the promises of God. Secondly, by understanding God's presence. God's presence. Joshua 1, verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And skipping down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Though the towering figure of Moses is no longer there to lead ancient Israel, Joshua is not left to his own devices. God was ever present to lead him each step of the way and had not left him high nor dry. So what is it about this presence that we need to understand? First, we need to understand that God's presence, we need to understand its permanence. The permanence of God's presence. The first part of verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's rather permanent, isn't it? This is is not some fleeting fancy on the part of God. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. He's with us continually, permanently. Secondly, the continuance of his presence. Second part of verse 5. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Do you see the continuity here? This isn't anything new. Just as God did it for Moses, he's now going to do it with Joshua, and he's going to do it for the children of Israel. Nothing new here. God is completely consistent as he is constant and continuous in his abiding presence with Joshua and the children of Israel. And then note the emphatic nature of his presence. He says here, I will not fail you. I will not 
forsake you. That is written in the most emphatic Hebrew construction that is known in biblical Hebrew. It is a sustained condition predicated on the person and the faithfulness of God himself, the covenant-keeping God. Joshua might fail. Joshua might stumble. Caleb might fail. Caleb might stumble. But God will never, ever fail. He will not lose his grip. He will not drop the children of Israel into the proverbial hot grease. In one of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah, we come across this many, many times. Here's just one of numerous examples. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 2. When you pass through the waters, he's saying to Israel, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire... You will not be scorched, nor will you, the flame burn out. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. I will gather them from the west and the north and the south. The emphatic nature of God's presence. And then note the location of his presence. Everywhere. Wherever they go. Wherever their footsteps You see, this is unique because in ancient Near Eastern antiquity, the ancient Near Eastern pagan gods and goddesses, they were all regional gods. They were bound by time and space. They all had their allotted territory and real estate. And they could go so far, but no further. You see, this is one of the many things that distinguishes Israel's God from the ancient pagan gods and goddesses of those around them. This is why no man will be able to stand against them. How does this apply to us today? Think about it. Think about Matthew 1.23. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. A quote from Isaiah 9 and verse, verses 6 and 7. God is with us. What did Christ tell his disciples prior to his ascension to the right hand of the throne on high? He said in Matthew 28, 20, in the great commission, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's pretty substantial. That's pretty extensive. As you get ready to go out this Saturday and do some street preaching and take the darts and the arrows of the naysayers, remember, he is always with you even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13.5, a quote of Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's still the same. God is still working the same. He's the same faithful God. His character hasn't changed. This is why Paul can write write that great anthem under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. If God is for us, who on earth can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Remember this as the winds of persecution pick up volume and intensity. God's presence is all important to having the courage and the strength that he alone provides. 
We have his promises. We have his presence. And finally, we have his priority. His priority. What is God's priority? Verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. It is noteworthy here that God's instructions, his first instructions to Joshua are not about military might, strength, or strategy. All of which is extremely significant in light of the battles that they are about to fight. The real keys to Joshua's success were to be found in God's word. The word that he had available to him at that point in time, which would have been Genesis through Deuteronomy, also known as the Pentateuch. Like the kings after him, his success was conditioned on the word of God. In fact, it's interesting if you just turn back a few pages to Deuteronomy 17 where God gives them some instructions about future monarchs they might have and what they need to look for in their monarchs. But key amongst all of those qualifications, in verse 16, we read these words in Deuteronomy 17. Moreover, he, or this future king, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt and multiply horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Verses 18 and 19. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left." so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. The most important quality about any future king was the fact that he was totally committed and sold out to the word of God. God required this. Of course, we know that seldom happens. Not only was he to know the word of God, but he was to be obedient to the word of God. He was to observe the word of God. No deviation, no detours, no shortcuts, no demarcations. Stay on course. Neither to the right nor to the left. Maintain focus. Maintain trajectory. He says here in Joshua 1 that he's to meditate on it. Meditate. Cogitate. Ruminate. Not not Eastern meditation. Not New Age meditation. Because in New Age meditation, the kind they do with yoga, you must empty your mind. I would like to submit That for some, it's not a very far journey. (laughs) They've already arrived. I read the headlines this morning. There are no visualization techniques. The idea of meditation here, as is presented in Joshua 1, 7 through 8, is that you mutter the word of God. The word actually means mutter. 
to growl, to groan, to moan, to mutter. It's an audible expression. It's muttering the words of God to yourself. That's what it means to meditate. To have memorized it and to rehearse it to the point. Have you ever seen somebody walking along, there's nobody around them, and they're talking to themselves? We have a maid who comes once a week and she has what I call inter-Trinitarian dialogues with herself. I don't know who she's talking to or what she's saying or any of that. It does concern me at times. But here, we're talking about muttering the word of God. The word that we know. Rehearsing it in our own minds, our own hearts. So what's the outcome of all this? The end of verse 8. Then you will have success. Not as the world defines success. This is not a promise of material wealth or physical gain, but of spiritual success, spiritual riches. They are the byproduct of focusing on His holiness and our obedience in light of that holiness. The success here is the result of obedience to the word of God that we've been muttering to ourselves and faithfulness to God. And so now as Joshua gets ready to step out on faith and have great success, he will also correspondingly serve as an exhibition of faith to all of those around him. You see, we don't measure success as the world does. It isn't position. It isn't power. It isn't prestige. It isn't possessions. The blessings promised to us are the byproduct of a life devoted to God based on his word. We have the promises of God through Jesus Christ alone. We have the presence of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as a blood-bought believer in Christ, if you're in Christ. And we have the priority of God's word that is still resident with us today. We have all of the same tools that Joshua and those ancient Jews had. You see, this is why at the end of his life, Joshua could utter these words in the final chapter of Joshua. Joshua 24 and verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves the day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that your fathers served which were beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the kind of strength, that is the kind of courage that Joshua displayed. And it is the same courage and strength that is available to us today through his word, through the indwelling of his spirit, and through his promises, and all based on his person. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Living Hope Bible Church. I thank you for the men that you've raised up here for Denver, for Don, for Peter, and for the deacons that they have. I thank you for the work that you're doing in this part of the vineyard through this church. I thank you for the light that extends from this pulpit, from the Bible studies, and from day-to-day living. And Father, we live in some very challenging times. And they will probably get even more challenging as time marches on in the days ahead. Father, we need strength 
for the journey. We need the courage of our professed convictions. We need it in the home. We need it at work. We need it at school. We need it in our neighborhoods. And we need it in this church. Father, I pray that you would help the men and women that make up this blood-bought community of believers to stand true, to access the courage and the strength that is mentioned in Joshua 1, and to follow that wonderful example and model and exemplar of the faith, Joshua, as he displayed courage and strength time and again. Father, help us to recline on the promises of God, the promise of the soon and coming King, with an enduring hope that shall not disappoint because of Christ who will someday soon be revealed. Father, remind us of your presence, that no matter where we are and no matter where we may go, that you are always present with us though we may not see you. Help us to know that we do not go alone. Help us to know that regardless of who we stand before, kings or monarchs or premiers or a CEO, that we do not have to fear them. It is only you we must fear. Give us a holy boldness. Give us a holy courage. And give us a strength that is external to ourselves, for we are but weak. May we be true. May we not flinch. May we not give an inch. But may we let the light and life of Christ so shine. Now, Father, I just pray that you would use this place and these people for that purpose. And Father, for anyone who might be here this morning who does not know Christ, I pray that even today you might draw them through your spirit, through your word, to the place of repentance and forgiveness, a place called Calvary. Now, Father, we commit this to you and thank you for your love and watch care. May we go forth in the strength and the courage that you alone can provide. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.